1: So Tim, share with me a little bit, when you have a audience of thousands of leaders, which you have often because you're a best-selling author and you have (laughs) lots of opportunity, what do you typically try to drive home to that audience as it relates to talent acquisition in today's world?
0: You know, I think too often we really as executive teams, we talk about how important talent is. But the reality is, especially for like chief executives, chief strategy officers, COOs, CIOs, They constantly want to talk about how important talent is, but then at the end of the day, I would go in and say, okay, well, who owns talent? And then that's usually one of two answers, right? They usually go, oh, well, our HR officer, or our talent officer, they own talent. Or they would go, oh, we all own talent. And I'm like, no, no, that doesn't work, right? And I always give the analogy of if I'm driving down the highway, like I was coming from Cincinnati, right, and there's a car broken down, and traffic is just plowing through, five lanes of traffic, And that person will sit in that car broken down for a week before anybody would stop. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going home and I live in a country road and there's nobody around and I see a car pulled over, every single time I'm going to pull over. Because I feel ownership now that I'm the only person that's probably going to help that person. Mm. And so I think what our executives have to really understand is, that HR or talent acquisition don't own talent. It's the person who's ultimately making the decision of who they hire, the hiring manager. Mm. So it could be a division director, it could be a department lead, it could be whatever that is. And they own talent. Now, my talent acquisition team, my HR team, can help support them, right? And help get them a slate of candidate or help find them or do all those things that we do to provide them that. But at the end of the day, it's their job to make sure they have the talent on the team they need no matter what. So even if HR or talent acquisition doesn't find them anybody, it's still their job to find it. And when you have an organization that from the CEO down has that as a mandate, what you find is those organizations find better talent, faster talent. They don't have talent acquisition issues. You don't have them coming to me going, we can't find anybody. Again, I always like, give the story if I'm with an executive team and I'll go, what happens if tomorrow I'm going to take your entire talent acquisition team and we're going to go on a, like a road trip, right? We're going to go on a team building exercise. We're in the bus. Bus gets hit by a train. We're all dead. You're going to come back. You're going to mourn for like a day. And then someone's going to go, well, we have to hire. And the hiring will take place. And it's still going to happen. You're not going to say, oh, well, wait a minute. First, we have to hire all these recruiters. We have to hire all these people. No, your hiring managers will go out and find the talent. They'll bring their all their team in and they'll say, hey, we have this position for a developer. And guys, who do you know? And who was over here at this point? We worked over here. And they'll come together and find it. And that hiring manager will take ownership. When you're in an organization where the hiring managers take ownership of talent, mm. Now, talent acquisition and HR can do great stuff. They can build a great brand. They can build a great recruitment marketing machine. They can really kind of put everything on steroids and make it even better. But it comes from that executive down because too often I'm in the boardroom and a CIO will will stand up and they'll look at the HR person and because somebody will say, why aren't we getting this product out the door? Why aren't we doing this? And they'll go, well, HR is not finding me talent. Or talent acquisition is not finding me mm-hmm. talent. We can't fill these positions. And they're looking across the table at somebody else. And then they're not taking ownership of that themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first step executives have to understand is if I come in to run, to like, let's say a Fortune 1000 company and say, hey, Tim, you're running HR, you're running talent acquisition. And I'm like, great. And they're like, and you own talent. And I'm like, okay, awesome. That means I get to make every single decision of a person hired. Right. Then no, no, no. Well, then I don't own talent then. Right. I'm just a conduit to help you find the talent that you need. But we have to have ownership in the right place because I think that's where it's lost. Not everybody owns it. Not somebody who doesn't make the decision owns it. It has to go back to that person making that final decision. Yeah,
1: yeah. And those that are accountable to provide direction and leadership, that it's not just about finding people. It's about investing in those people, developing those people Creating an experience where people want to give you their, what we call their greatest good. Exactly.
0: Exactly. You're so right because if I'm a leader and I'm making selection of talent, and also I know I have to own it, then also I'm not providing that great experience, employee experience, and people are leaving me fast. Well, that just comes back to me of now I have to hire more people. And I always tell leaders like the best hire you ever have to make is the one you don't have to make because you retain somebody, you save somebody. Mm -hmm. Too often somebody puts their two weeks in and we just say, all right, thanks, see you. We'll get you a cake. We'll have a going away party. And like, why are we giving them a party? Like, let's figure out how to keep them here, right? right, If we're providing that. And I think, again, back to that ownership thing, what you see is when Hiring managers own their talent of their team. They own it fully. Mm-hmm. Not only the selection side, but they also make sure the retention side is great. Mm-hmm. But I think what it also does is point out those leaders who are actually struggle with that as well. Mm-hmm. It makes it really easy for us to go, oh, that person over there is having a problem. And sure. now, now we need to go help them. We need yeah. to have resources to help them. Why aren't they able to retain people? Or why does nobody want to come work for that leader? Yeah. It's a great exercise to do internally is to go to all of your employees and go, if you were to go to work for somebody else in our company, and you could choose any leader, not me because I'm your current leader, but anybody else, what leader would that be? And what you'll see is a consistency of the same people would be chosen by people outside, mm-hmm. and those are your people leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, And then we have to figure out how can we emulate what they do with all of our leaders across mm-hmm. the
1: board. That's a great exercise. Oh, yeah. Great it does exercise. really good work. So when you find people who say, I want to be – the best hiring manager I can be, we believe that there's not a lot of places to go to turn to how to be great at that, Yeah. right? Yeah. We don't really equip our people how to be the best hiring manager and partner mm-hmm. with talent, with people, with culture, leaders. Yeah. We just say, I wish they were all better hiring managers. But what have you seen organizations do to lean into that topic?
0: Well, I think there's a couple of issues there. One is we have managers that we know are just bad at selection, and probably because they're just selecting people like them. Like if I interviewed you and I interviewed a woman that was your age and I interviewed a young like Asian male that was 20 years younger than both of us, and I would almost always choose you because you and I instantly would connect. Similar in age, similar in background, and I just feel more comfortable with you. By the way, the woman would always choose the woman, the Asian male would always choose the Asian male that's reality. Mm. And so what we have though is too many of our managers that will do that. And we have no mechanism to come in and say, hey, by the way, (laughs) there's just some unconscious bias going on and we're going to help you with that. And let's take a look at the dynamics of your team. And let's just have some real conversation behind closed doors about what this looks like. I'm not pacing blame or trying to make you feel bad about it. This is just the reality of dynamics of organizations and how we keep going down the same path. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing that we have to do. I think to get hiring managers better. I always loved the movie, the Jerry Maguire movie Mm -hmm. with Rod, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about how Jerry's sole focus in the movie was, I just want Rod to succeed. Because if Rod succeeds, then I'm going to succeed. Too often our hiring managers don't have that mentality about their own people working for them. They say, hey, I'm going to make you so good that you're probably going to leave here because we're not going to have a position for you to raise you up fast enough. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. Because the dirty little secret is you won't leave because you're not going to get that development someplace else. You are going to feel that relationship like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Tim helped me become this much better, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to have, you know, it's a talent manager kind of concept where we're going out there and saying, hey, how do you make your people so good? They're they're probably going to be more valuable and they're going to be headhunted constantly. And we have too many managers that will go, oh, I don't want to do that because then they'll leave me. Well, we already know, like, the opposite is you're not going to train them. You're not going to develop them. And they're going to stay. Yeah, and they're going to stay, you know. (laughs) And then so now you have this. And we see that a lot, right? You see, I think, weak managers hire weak people Mm. because they don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be pushed. And so it's really for us to figure out, one is, how do we help them really kind of select a more inclusive kind of team around them that's going to help them and their weaknesses? I know I'm a high details person, but a low rules person. So I always surround myself with people who are actually higher rules. I know exactly what I want done, but I don't care how it gets done. But I need people that will say, no, 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 we need to have the A to Z. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, so I think there's some self-insight exercises and stuff like that, that people need to understand where's my weaknesses and how am I surrounding myself with people who Mm -hmm. actually help me with that? At the same time, how am I helping them understand what their weaknesses are and also improving that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As you and I were talking, ramping into this conversation, we were talking about the turnover that happens in people and talent organizations, right? And so many times those individuals that are hired are never given the tools, the authority, the budget, that really, all they're given is the responsibility to help solve problems of people who don't want to work with you. But you need to solve their business problems to get their business problem done. And I always mention that the most proactive organizations, the organizations that are quietly winning, are those that are making people and talent everyone's priority.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Well, to I lean th- into I those
0: too often, I think we think that people leave our organizations for for a promotion. The reality is, is almost. Every person that leaves our company is going to go for a lateral move. It might be a little bit more money, but even that we could probably overcome. Mm -hmm. And when I was at Applebee's, we saw this constantly with our general managers of our restaurants, right? A great GM in an Applebee's restaurant could net the company a million dollars a year. A really crappy GM would lose us a half a million. So it was really advantageous for us to make sure we kept our great GMs. Mm -hmm. And we constantly had GMs leave us to go to another chain restaurant or whatever to basically do the exact same job for five grand more, some stupid... It was really worthless money when we talked about the bigger scheme. Right, And of course, we had all these kind of pay equity and compensation issues that would come into play because you're like, well, if I pay this person more, then I have to... And it clouded the judgment of our, our leaders, the reality was we had to get down to the understanding of they're leaving not for a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. There's all those other reasons they're leaving, and they're not leaving for promotion. Very rarely is that happening, and that's every organization. It's too often we sound like, oh, they're an accountant, and they're going over to be a senior accountant. They're going to do the exact same job right. for a little bit more money. Yeah. And if they're really good, how much more would you be willing to pay? Plus, you're probably going to actually have to pay more for that next person coming in mm-hmm. because you just haven't kept up with the market.
1: You know? yeah. yeah, So Absolutely. Yeah. But that GM that just left for $5,000 may have been netting your organization a million dollars a year in revenue. Yeah. And what is the tangible effect? We speak a lot about the turnover and retention factors with employers. And if we would take, well, last year we invested $3 million in turnover. What if you took $300,000 and invested that back into your people back into the things that were driving them to transition out and that might also be that what if we had healthcare services for yep. our employees Families, or what if we did more in the benefits? What if we did more with childcare or education reimbursement and we spent a tenth of what we just spent on the turnover cost?
0: It can even be smaller. I I worked with organizations to create save strategies where, as soon as somebody gives their notice or as soon as they become like a red flag, like we think that they're probably going to turn, we do a quick analysis, right? Are they an A player, B player, C player? Like, how desperate are we to keep that person? And if we're really desperate, then there's a chain of events that happens. And one of those, like when we were at Applebee's with these GMs, if they, if they were an A-player GM and they get put the two weeks in, the first thing we would do is put them on a plane and send them to the corporate headquarters where the CEO, the CHRO, and usually the CEO would actually drop everything that was going on and met with that person individually. Mm. And what we got was about a 40% save. Where those people would literally say, and then we measured save after a year. So it wasn't like we always saved them for a month and they took off anyways. This was after a year they were still around. And what we heard from them, all these people that would come through this situation was like, I can't believe that I ever thought about leaving a company that thought so much that the top three people in the company were willing to sit down You'd with me. Everything. And a lot of times it was simple stuff. It was maybe a few more bucks. Maybe it was... Sometimes it was just a location where, hey, I got divorced and my wife's over here with a kid or whatever that might be, right? Mm -hmm. Simple things that we could keep great people in the organization by, yeah, for sure, maybe it was painful for one part of the organization to lose this person, but it was also a benefit to the organization to keep that person and put them in another part of the organization Mm -hmm. or whatever that might be. And too often what we saw was the politics at play was one area leader was like, well, I can't lose that person. And you're like, well, you're going to lose them regardless. Mm -hmm. And so we had to take it out of their hands and take a look at the bigger organizational picture to say, how do we ensure that we keep great talent here? And if the talent was the number one thing in the organization, which Everybody every CEO says, every CEO says it yeah. is, yeah. then are they willing to cancel some finance meeting that happens every Wednesday to meet with an employee one-on-one for mm-hmm. a half hour, an hour, whatever that – it didn't matter how long, mm-hmm. right? If that person is that critical to the organization, that valuable of the organization, we should all be willing to do that. And it was the only organization that I saw was actually really willing to do it and put that the weight behind it where they're like, look, we don't care if the airline ticket costs $1,500 to get them out tomorrow morning, get them on the plane and get them here. And get them here. And wow. we want to talk to them and we want to figure this out right now, the moment that it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to wait around and hem and haw over it. We're going to get them right here. get them right now. Mm-hmm. Let
1: them know that it, they're a priority.
0: And the thing that happened was all of that stuff kind of shapes behavior going downhill as well, because if an area director now knows that that step's going to going happen in 24 hours, they're also on top of it. They're on top of their team. They're checking in with their team constantly. They're doing all of those things that you should be doing, the right behaviors to make sure your people are satisfied. Because the last thing that person wanted, that area director, that area leader wanted to find out was, why weren't you aware of this? Because mm-hmm. that's going to be the first question, right. you know? yeah. Like, if this person is going to leave how did you not have any idea this was going on? When mm-hmm. was the last time you talked to him? When did you sit down with him? How many times have you been sitting down with him? What were those conversations? Yeah. Again, the right behaviors of things that we should do. But again, it started at the top in terms of that tipping point of what was going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. As you look at the definition, I know you travel all around the world and speak at conferences and people are talking more and more about the power of culture and the power of team and the power of chemistry inside the organization. What are some of the things that you believe about corporate culture and the investment in that topic? And Mm -hmm. our team that has some world-leading experts on our consulting team around culture, we've been talking about this for decades. Now the rest of the world's bringing it up in every conversation. What are you encouraging others to think about relating to that topic?
0: Well, you know, every study on retention and culture and all of these things always comes back to Do you feel a connection right at work? Whether that's a best friend from the Gallup stuff or, I mean, all the way back, right? It hasn't changed. All that stuff still plays itself out. I think organizations do a really bad job. When we started to focus on the work-life balance side of things, what we thought was people wanted to have those two completely separated. Right. And that was kind of a wrong view. What they want was a connection where they feel one life, where they feel like, hey, I'm coming to work because, yeah, the work's good. And I like what we do and there's all this mission stuff and everything like that's great. But I love the people I work with as well. And I want to keep working with those people and have a good time mm-hmm. with those people. I'm going to spend mm-hmm. all this time with these people, mm-hmm. hours a week, months, yeah. years. Like I better enjoy. And so I think organizations, the better organizations from a cultural standpoint are starting to figure this out and starting to figure out how do we do better team building where people are enjoying themselves. And it doesn't always have to be during work hours. It doesn't have to be after work hours. I mean, it's a constant combination I see this right now with internship programs really well as well, where I have two sons that have gone through that process where you see organizations that will take their interns and most of what they're doing for the interns is ingratiating them into the culture and trying to figure out how do we get these people to say, oh my gosh, I want to come work there because it's an awesome place and I feel like I can be friends with these people. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can have relationships with these people. And then you have ones that are completely just, I've seen it with my own sons where they do none of that. And my sons will leave, come back from the summer, and they'll go, yeah, I don't want want to work.
1: I don't want to be there.
0: Big brands, great jobs, but they're just like, "Eh, I just didn't feel connection. So it's all about, for me, culture has become connection because we're in this kind of like crazy, constantly connected world that we can't have a major part of our life like work. And have that be disconnected from the rest of our life, mm-hmm. And so work-life balance is not about a separation as much as it's about how do we make it all work together and make the people that we work with also a part of that, like kind of that family, you mm-hmm. know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the connection part, we all innately need that in our lives, right? For sure. And if you don't have it, then you're going to naturally want to go find it. Yeah. Right.
0: And we see that constantly where you'll talk to somebody that you'll terminate from a company, right? And internally they'll go, oh, it just never fit in, just never do that. And then that person will go to another company and it'll be the their best thing they ever happened to them. They yeah. love it and they're friends. And, and you'll talk to people at the new company and they'll go, Oh, I can't believe Mary didn't make it. Like we love her. She's great. And same person. Right. One had connection, one didn't have connection, yeah. and that's really all it comes down to. Like, we know from a recruiting talent acquisition side, the most powerful thing we have to offer is that ability to be wanted. Mm. Does it, it's not about pay, not about – it's all about all that, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if I feel more wanted by you in your company versus somebody else – I'm always going to choose you Mm -hmm. because we have that deep desire to be wanted on a personal level, on a work level. I mean, it doesn't matter. In our life, we just, everyone has that
1: need, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the conversation that we have with the Talent Acquisition Evolution around what are our responsibilities as talent acquisition leaders to make it personal and to care, right? To not treat people as a transaction, but to invest in those people. And I mean, I've spent the last 18 years doing this. Yeah, You spent the last many years doing this. We're both technically a part of family businesses yeah. and, and both have parents who cared, right? <laughs> and that's the legacy that follows me is my dad cared for 44 years. He cares about people. And our brand, our team is made up of people who, yes, we're doing searches. Yes, we're representing clients. But at the end of the day, We care about the team that we're representing from a client perspective Mm -hmm. and their success as well as the human that we're representing and that we're going out and finding. And guess what? People return our calls, right? I can do a search anywhere in the world and get calls returned (laughs) because of the reputation of this as a company that wouldn't be calling. Yeah. If it wasn't a viable opportunity, this is a company that produces, all. I read your content. I follow your blog. I listen to your podcast. I'd love to have a conversation with. In fact, at the end, could we talk about the episode you ran last week (laughs) that I really took a major takeaway from? And that's the, the beauty of the work that you do and that we do here is we actually care. So we're doing things beyond the transactions. And I think that's a big call to action at this conference, the Talent Acquisition Evolution, to really help the leaders in the room know that we have a place and we have an opportunity to make an impact that goes beyond filling that one particular requirement or one particular search. And we are typically the first introduction that humans have to the organizations that either we're in or that we're representing. We are the first experience, right? And it better be a good one. And I don't know any thoughts around that. Coincidentally, we're celebrating that, that global TA day.
0: And I think it gets back to what you're saying about, I want to work with other recruiters, other talent acquisition people who love what they do. Too often, I think, they get a negative connotation about being a recruiter because of the bad things, like- Bad th- interactions. The yeah. bad interactions that take place. I think tomorrow we're celebrating all of, of the good. I mean, I take a look at it and I have three sons that have grown up with me being in the talent acquisition world. And all they know is my dad finds people jobs. He helps them on their career path and mm-hmm. does all this great stuff, which is all great stuff. But too often, I think people don't really see it as that. But the, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world that that's what they do that's what they live for and I think that gets back to that doing the good work that we do and making, making all that stuff happen you sparked an idea and I know this will, we were just jumping around on some things we talked about they're going to contact you back because they know of your relationship and all that mm-hmm. now knowing that we have executives that are listening to the pod one of the things I love to do as a talent acquisition leader in the corporate world is have my recruiters take over a CEO's email and again not blindly the CEO is going to know exactly what's being sent. But imagine if you're an accountant, a truck driver, doesn't matter, whatever, title, and you get a, like an email from the CEO of a major company that says, hey, blah, 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 blah. You're going to be so much more willing to respond to that because oh, you're like, sure. what the heck? Mm-hmm. Now, I've done this a few times. We don't do it all the time for every position because then the people get, they, they're on that. But if I have a certain position that we're struggling to fill, that's critical to the organization, I'm going to go to the the CEO. I'm going to say, look, this is a simple IT thing where they can give me access to your email. We're in HR, right? So it's like the law. No one will ever know what I know. (laughs) And I'm not going to read through your email. I just need the ability to send some emails. Or I can even craft it. You can cut it and paste it and throw it in email and send it. The thing is, I need to respond because that's going to be critical. But you'd be shocked at the percentage of response rate that you get Mm. from that kind of level of interaction. It goes back to the ownership. It goes back to who's involved. Is talent really your number one? If it's number one, Mm -hmm. there should be a non-issue. When I've gone to a CEO and asked, that first reaction, I was always kind of like, in their heads, I know, well, I don't want you seeing what's in my email. Right, sure. And we're like... That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. And here's what it is. And we can test some things out and we can do it. And after, usually we do like, we'll do a small test where they cut and paste or do some of that stuff. Then they'll go, okay, this is totally awesome. I get what this is. And now we'll just, throughout Look, we'll have IT kind of give you access and you can just go and send this stuff out. Mm -hmm. But we also, one of the things that has to take place with that is making sure that you're updating that CEO about what is taking place. Because the last thing they want to do is when that new person starts, (laughs) like, I got that email email from you, and it, you so so, yeah. and it was so great and it's like oh for sure like it, right. you have to know and say hey by the way so it's a managing up kind of thing but and we do it with hiring managers as well if you're whether you're a cio or a director of it or something like that it works the same way mm. when they're getting that level problem is that they just usually don't have the capacity mm-hmm. they're more than willing to do it to they just don't they just them. don't have the capacity yeah. to follow up and do it on a consistent basis where we have the systems processes and people that that's what we could do so you just sparked that idea, yeah, you know, yeah, that we've had. Yeah,
1: well, that communication, we're going to be talking a lot about the power of content, yeah. technology, yeah. and the communications. How do you build a community, right? So organizations typically get dinged because of lack of communication. And it's no one's intent to upset a pool of talent, yeah. right? Mm-mm. It's no one's intent, but there's other priorities that they're – chasing down or challenges that they're dealing with. So one of the things that we want to help come out of this is how do we create, how do we celebrate talent acquisition? Yeah. How do we celebrate the opportunities that exist within all of us? How do we walk away and be encouraged by other experts throughout the world that are talking and how do we go back into our organizations and interact with our customers and really educate them, not just on, Hey, we're going to leading a search successfully, yeah. but how do you create a communication strategy, a brand awareness? How do you create that culture? I tell individuals, my goal, when I place someone, we want them to be with you for the rest of their career, if they so desire. Yeah. And if you so desire, but in order to do that, right? People get frustrated about the lack of retention. In order to do that, we have to create environments that help people change, grow, and feel challenged. Mm-hmm. And we have to create an environment where people feel like they are the most valued asset and, asset and they can bring their best good to work and they can communicate freely and they can be transparent and progressive and push an organization, not feel like they're always polling and struggling and tugging with and never getting any type of response.
0: Yeah. Part of that, I think, is we get caught up with the brand. We need a brand that's going to give us more, right? More talent, more candidates. And it's not about more. It's not a shotgun approach. It should be a rifle approach where I want to attract the candidates that want to be like us. Because one of the big things we know from a cultural retention standpoint is all about do they believe in our mission and what do we do? And some people go, well, we don't have a mission. We make dog food or whatever, you know? And I'm like, no, you know what? There's people there that love dogs, love animals, want to make sure that the animals are healthy or make sure the animals, maybe it's cheap dog food. Like You go to any level of company and whatever they do, right? Mm-hmm. And you can find somebody there that can connect a mission to the people and you can find candidates that will connect to that mission that are out there. The hardest job in talent acquisition is making sure you find those people. What I don't want is somebody to come in that, does, that goes, well, yeah, I don't care about dog food. Right. I like cats. And you're like, yeah, you're not for us. Right, You're not one of our people.
1: Do you know who you applied for? <laughs> yeah, you know.
0: But too often we're just going, yeah. oh, but well, they can do the job. They have the skills. Yeah. And we'll turn them in. They'll love our culture. Maybe not. Yeah. And I think too often we create these brands, these employment brands that are so wide reaching that we're getting mishires. And that's causing some of our turnover versus being super like targeted and going, you know what? We're a special kind of crazy here, and I, we need to find more people who, like, our crazy. Mm. And once we get that to happen, mm-hmm. now we have the magic. Because people will go, and go, oh, don't work for that company. They're too hard. Like, Amazon's a great one, right? I mean, obviously, they're huge. But Amazon has this culture of being super type A, high burnout, working weekends, working all kinds of hours. The reality is, is Amazon, that's who they are. And they're mm-hmm. very clear of who they are. And they want more people who want that. They want someone that wants to ride the rocket ship. They don't want someone that wants to come in and work maybe 35, 36 hours a week, and then just go home and not think about their job. They want someone who's going to think about their job 24-7, 365, can't wait to go to work. In fact, probably won't even wait till Monday. They're going to come in Sunday and get get ahead of the game. That's who they want. That's who they want to attract. And they're very clear about that. And even though they're a giant organization, there's so many people that complain about Amazon's work environment. And you're like, because that was a mishire. Mm. you weren't one of their people (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's the one thing you want to be able to say is to say hey we hired someone they're one of ours they're like us yeah whatever that might be right yeah
1: Yeah, we say know your who yeah right know the who i love your we're a special kind of crazy (laughs) and we're looking for people who are that kind of crazy that's a great takeaway for our listeners (laughs) so share with me a little bit about your journey of writing talent fix
0: so it really happened. I started writing a blog, um, Fistful of Talent. Um, mm-hmm. I started writing for Chris Dunn's Fistful of Talent and actually Jennifer McClure. Our, yeah, when we started I Hollywood remember Jen, nine years she, ago or so. She started writing there as well. Yeah. A couple years into that, Chris is like, hey, you really should be writing more and challenged me to write every day. So I started Tim Sackett, the Tim Sackett Project at timsackett.com. So I started writing every single day for about eight years. What happens early on is you have this small little group of people that read and they're all fans, and everything is like, oh my gosh, you think like I do, and this is great, and everything's wonderful. As the audience gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you kind of have a bunch of trolls that kind of come out and they read every day just for the simple fact that they hate you and they can't wait for you to say something that they can just kill you on. <laughs> and wow. that happens, that's wow. part of it. Oh, yeah. But also what happens is like you then start – I think people feel like, oh, well, Tim's there just to be our – like use. Like, hey, what ATS should I use and what this and what's that and how should I fix this? And I had this problem. And so the questions start coming in like at a massive level. And again, from a capacity standpoint, you just can't keep up. And so I said, well, I'm going to write a book. And just like here's the book. Here's everything I would do if I came in to run your TA shop from literally first interview all the way to the end. Here's how I would design it, set it up, build it. And if it's not in there, please come back with a question and ask me. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it started out hmm. to write, and it was an awesome experience. It went really well. Sherman published it, so it's been great from that standpoint. And I have a couple others in the works that will go down that path and do some more of it. So okay,
1: has it been? I know as we're looking at doing some publishing ourselves, mm-hmm. our boards encouraging us to do that for the lift effect that a book has on organizations. Have you felt that? I mean, does your phone ring more often? Do you? Oh,
0: for sure. I mean, the hardest thing you ever do in the world is sell a book, right? Like, we had talked, like, there's more books published every single year than the previous year. So like, let's say there's 500,000 books published in 2019. In 2020, there'll be 5,010. At the same time, there's fewer people buying books every single year. Mm. <laughs> so we have this weird dynamic. It's never been easier in, in the history of the world to publish a book. Mm-hmm. So everybody that wants to pretty much can. You can self-publish, you can find a company to publish. Mm-hmm. And, and there's very few. I think, again, it's a real like high 90s percentage will never sell more than 500 books. And then when you put that in perspective, people go, oh, so you don't necessarily write the book to sell books. You write the book um, because it does put like your organization, yourself, whoever you're writing for at a level. There's still very few, small, tiny percentage of the world that writes and publishes a book. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty cool thing. And you feel very accomplished to do it, to hold it in your hands and see it. Mm-hmm. It's a weird experience to have someone sign like a book. Like I don't, yeah. you know, yeah. like the first time someone asks you to sign a book, you're just kind of like,
1: uh, okay. Really? Me? You know? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Don't you just want to talk and have a conversation? Yeah, right. Take a picture? I don't know. I don't.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, to those that are listening and watching, the, the book is Talent Fix. The Talent Fix on the Amazon. Ta- yeah. Yep. So, go out to Amazon and grab you a copy. Yeah. I'm sure many who are in the talent acquisition circle already have bought. So, let's see if we can't sell 500 <laughs> more copies over the next few weeks here as a part of this effort for, sure. uh, for Global TA Day. And share with us a few things that you. So what you're able to share? Because I know a lot of what you work on is highly confidential, but some of the cutting edge, leading edge things that you're involved with, anything that you can share just to get the audience excited?
0: You know, I think I've been in the last few years, especially, I've really dug into like the talent acquisition tech stack, right? So all Mm -hmm. those pieces of talent acquisition that we use to make ourselves successful. And I think the core of that being an applicant tracking system or an ATS. And I think as we look at that, what we see right now is a huge increase in the amount of, I would say, vanilla kind of recruiting modules out of big enterprise HR suites. Mm-hmm. So CFO, CEO, like, oh, yep, we need SAP, we need Oracle, we need Workday. That's all great because they got great financials, they have great core HR, great payroll. Right. At the end of the day, though, as you get farther away from their core, it gets less and less. So don't tell me talent's number one, and then you make your recruiting team use Workday Recruit. Or you make them use Taleo or you make them use SuccessFactors without giving them all the other pieces that have to go along with that. Because Workday Recruit or Taleo or, you know, those enterprise, big enterprise suite recruiting modules are pretty vanilla. Mm-hmm. They work really well at making the donuts. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you need great recruitment marketing and great sourcing and great communication strategy with candidates, CRM kinds of capabilities, none of those systems have that. So you have to then say, okay, hey, we're going Workday Shop. You're going to use Workday Recruit. But we also know that you have to have the rest of the staff. Other resources. Yeah, it's not just going to be that. And that's hard sometimes because the CFO pays a lot of money to use one of those big enterprise suites. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, that should be great for you. Well, it's not, especially if talent is really, really important to your organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talked to a huge worldwide hotel chain the other day, right? 24 pieces of technology on their tech stack for talent acquisition alone wow. and they're using a major enterprise recruiting module so they had to get 24 more pieces of technology mm-hmm. to be able to hire 250 to 300,000 people a year so you can't just sit there and go, oh, here's what we're going to do. Because a lot of times they're moving from a really great standalone best-of-breed applicant tracking system that has some CRM built in, that has some sourcing built in, that has SMS built in for from a communication standpoint. And then you go, oh, by the way, we're using this new product and it's going to be so much greater. Not really. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. In fact, you just put handcuffs on your team that was already struggling to fill, find talent for you and said, oh, here we go. Now with handcuffs, try to find more talent. It, does, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So and that's the, not a
0: hit on any of the big enterprise suites, right? I mean, because that's the biggest, I think, increase what we see out of like Fortune 1000 companies going to big, giant enterprise. They want like one umbrella system. That's great. Good. Okay. But don't underestimate the amount of other technologies that you have to bring along with yeah,
1: it. Yeah, to put into that. Well, and I think that there's many individuals, especially if they're not in talent HR and the people side of the business function, we are all in talent acquisition people in the HR business. But to think about that it's not just about some place to house an applicant, Yeah, right? This is so much more than that. So those of us know that. We yeah. know that it's about marketing and communications. It's about building a community. It's about being able to nurture Talent and bring people in and utilize content and resources and ways to really build a relationship with these for individuals. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but some people just think of what do you mean? Yeah, I just need a well, place where we contact. We would never ask
0: our sales and marketing team to basically just have a database without without a CRM involved, right? Right. So we know we have to sell product and services. And yet, that's what we're doing in talent acquisition is we're selling our company, we're selling our brand, we're selling our positions. So we have to have the same kind of capabilities. Mm -hmm. The other piece I think I would love to see from an evolution standpoint within talent acquisition is that we don't have a COO or CEO or CFO come and pick our software. I'm in talent acquisition, I'm an expert in talent acquisition, I would never go to work for a company that the CFO came down and said, oh, by the way, you're using this now. Because here's why I know what happened is I could never go into that CFO's office and say, hey, Mary, guess what? I found a really great piece of software that runs some great financials. I'm going to have them show up tomorrow and we're going to, we decided to use that. Mm -hmm. They would literally laugh me out of the office. Mm -hmm. You're not going to pick a financial software. Well, why can you then pick the HR and talent software? Yeah. And again, IT is the same way, right? IT would never allow me to pick their operational software. They would never say, oh, by the way, for networking now, we're going to use this. (laughs) They would get the hell out of here. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. But somehow they feel very comfortable to come in and say, oh, by the way, here's your new product. So I do think we have to separate ourselves professionally. And part of that is on us as professionals to really go to understand the HR tech landscape, the capabilities, what Mm -hmm. it can do, what it can't do. I don't need to understand the bones of it the guts of the technology mm-hmm. and what it's built on, I do need to understand what the capabilities are yeah. and what can happen and do my due diligence of someone who's already using it and what, how are they using it what, what all that good stuff happens. Mm-hmm. But I think that we still see too often that CFOs and CIOs are selecting our technology and then they're yelling at us when we can't find talent for them. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not do that. Right. Let's not do that. Well, we want to thank those. For those listening to this episode, this was recorded live and launched on the Talent Magnet Institute platform, as well as in our Facebook community, the Talent Magnet Institute podcast community. Do connect with Tim. Go to timsackett.com. I'm really
0: easy. If you Google Tim Sackett, I'm like the first hundred pages because my IP and SEO is pretty strong. There's a Tim Sackett who's a truck driver chaplain in Minneapolis. I'm not him. Okay. It'd be cool if I was, but I'm not. (laughs) I just two different guys. He probably hates that I stole his SEO, but Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So hop out to Google. Also grab the talent fix on Amazon or wherever you purchase your books. Yeah. We wanna thank those who are gonna be joining us tomorrow at the Global Talent Acquisition Day, specifically the Talent Acquisition Evolution Conference. If you're listening to this after the conference, which will be thousands of you, (laughs) um, we're excited about the 2020 date. So just Google Talent Acquisition Evolution, go to Facebook. There's a group there that's getting close to 200 strong. And hopefully after this conference, that will elevate up even more. So we want to thank everyone who is tuning in. We want to thank those who are a part of our great talent acquisition community across the globe. Tim, I want to thank you for joining us. I have had the pleasure of listening to your episode on Let's Fix Work, Impact Makers, <laughs> HR Happy Hour, Drive Through HR, and many others in the podcast space. And now you've been on the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I, so.
0: Best for last, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> and live in the studio. Yeah. So thank you again for being a part of our community at the Talent Magnet Institute. And those who follow our search firm, Centennial Talent Strategy and Executive Search, you all are winners. Let's go out and make the best we can with how we acquire talent, how we invest in talent, and how we build into the talent that we already have. Thank you for joining us today. And we will talk to you all soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode
0: of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode, and help spread the word by leaving a review.
1: The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter, or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Sound Press, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity.